Hello and welcome to episode 99 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRP. Joining me as always is the glorious League Freak. You can find on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there? I'm going really well. It's interesting that we're at 99 when we said we would stop when we got to 100, hey? Yeah, we've got too much content to stop now, so we might have to go to... Should we go to 1,000? Yeah, let's do 1,000 of them. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll put 1,000 as the next marker. That should keep us yeah. busy for at least another oh, 12 months or so, I guess. I reckon at this rate. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're firing through them pretty well. Yeah. Um, today, we're going to look at what was a bumper weekend of international footy. And yeah. you actually went down and and watched some of the games on Friday at Wynn Stadium. They had a, a triple header down there. Yeah, it was uh, interesting. I didn't see the first game between Australia and France, but I did see part of the second half of the Gilles versus um, the Kiwi Ferns, I believe they're called. That's correct. And yeah, that was uh, it. Was cool to see the second, most of the second half of that, and then was there for obviously Australia versus New Zealand in the men's. And um, my seats were in the concourse area. I'd never been to Wynn Stadium before, so I didn't get a that high up overall view that I kind of like to have with the test matches to get a better bit of a better feel for the the overall contest and how it's going, but. Yeah, it was uh, it was a fantastic game. I enjoyed it. The problem was the second half the Kiwis didn't turn up, which is a problem they've had for a long time. Um, all right, so we'll, we'll we'll start from the beginning. Um, even though you didn't see it, the Australian Gillaroos, the women's team, beat the Kiwi Ferns twenty-eight to eight. Now, the the Kiwi Ferns dominated field position and possession for pretty much all of the opening twenty minutes. And when I say Almost. I mean, I think Australia had this had the ball for two sets in those mm-hmm. opening twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. They were just defending the whole line that whole time, and mm-hmm. New Zealand did not get across the stripe and score a single point. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took Australia a little time to get on the board. They uh, ran away with the game in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, as you're saying, Ali Brigashaw was was very very good again. Um, I was pretty impressed by uh, Jess Sergis. Mm-hmm. She made a ton of meters and was constantly a threat. Um, Millie Boyle, it, she just she just runs through things. Yeah, she got that massive leg drive and just runs through things. She doesn't look like she's all that big, but she's just strong and and just hard to stop when she gets gets a bit of momentum going. And uh, Hannah Southwell, who I think she's the lock. Um, immense defense defender pretty much every tackle she's pushing pushing the uh, opposition back um had a good try saving tackle as well in the first half another brink game from her so yeah it's uh the the australian team were i'd say dominant yeah it, it was it was interesting they ran away from it i can tell you being at the ground and being closer to the sideline um some of the hits they were putting on were pretty pretty good. Like, it's something about the women's game you don't really think about too much. But in these test matches, like, they were putting it on one another. And um, when we talk to a women's player, I really want to ask them about the recovery from those hits because it's obviously different from the men. Um, 
and yeah, it, like they must be sore for quite a while after these games. I'd imagine so, uh, especially the the forwards, because mm. the forwards are all very strong and, and um, yeah, they don't hold back when they hit one another. Yeah, no, it was. I think it was something we talked about in the World Nines uh, review that New Zealand really set they set the standard for quite a while with the physicality and the athleticism of the women's game. And it and Australia has really gone up to meet them. And I think they've gone ahead on both, you know, areas of the game at the moment. And New Zealand will come back. There's no doubt about that. They've got so much talent. But I think Australia and New Zealand, are they're just miles ahead of everyone else in, in the women's game at the moment. Yeah, um, and I think that we kind of saw that a little bit in the World Nines with the women, with the English team coming out. And they were pretty confident, and I, they were really shown to be at a different level. And hopefully the, the English women, I mean, there was a article I saw earlier today where um, the female, I guess, Woman of Steel Award winner, she said she'd love to come over and play in the NRLW um, so it's going to be interesting to see how the women's game develops and, um, you know, if if the NRLW ends up being like the NRL where it's just the one premier comp or if it ends up where maybe the there isn't just one main place. It's, you know, New Zealand sets their own sort of thing up and England sets their own sort of thing up. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. I mean, one thing I know I mentioned before, I'd love to see a PNG team in the NRLW. Yeah, and I think that, you know, you just bring the team in. I yeah. don't see any any reason why not to. Um, obviously, costs are probably a, a big factor in terms of how much the women's game generates. Um, so, but eventually that's going to come up to the right level because the, the women's games, are, you know, they're getting good ratings. Like, they're... they're and when I say good ratings, it's not like, oh, yeah, that's good. It's like they're properly good ratings. So eventually they're going to be able to show sponsors and TV, you know, broadcasters and stuff that the it's it's ready to invest in that level of the game. And they'll yeah. just be able to pay their own way, which is no doubt what they're looking for themselves is just to be able to almost disconnect from the men's game and, and you know, stand on their own two feet financially um, because they'll be generating so much money, they won't need to rely on, on, you know, the men's game at all. Which would be fantastic. Yeah, would be great. Um, yeah, moving on to the second game, it was the, um, I mean, we don't even know what their name was, the Australia A under-24s Junior Kangaroos. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and they took on the French... It's, it was like a combination France-France B team. Yeah, and, and they were ran out as the French team. Um, this they was had a bit of drama actually during the week, where actually mm-hmm. just before game, where Jason Battieri, the French captain, pulled out and says, I, I don't want to have anything to do with this team anymore. They're unprofessional and um, had a bit of a swipe at the French Rugby League and mm-hmm. just went, wow, another, another uh, international rugby league body that players are unhappy with. And it made me realise that we need to start... These bodies need to start talking to the players and find out what they want because 
you can't have so this many disgruntled players across the international field. You've got France now, we had Tonga obviously, we had Lebanon earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I don't know, the RLF needs to probably get involved and say, there's a lot of unhappy players. What do we need to do to make to fix things? Because all these players are complaining about is how the game is run back home and, and that sort of thing. So they're actually not thinking about their own pockets, which is very unique as well. Yeah, and it's something you don't see too often, really. And, and I think that because of what we're seeing in the international game with, <coughs> excuse me, with so many, um, it's I mean, it's expanding quickly and we're, it's not so much that it's expanding. They're, they're actually playing games against each other now. Um, and there is money being generated. And I think the players are seeing that. And when they see that money not going to where they think it should be, keep in mind, these are pro- rugby league professionals. They kind of have an idea where the money should be spent to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, they blow up about it. And the good thing is that it's showing that these organisations, they are under scrutiny. And that hasn't been the case for a very long time. I wonder when it's going to happen with the New Zealand Rugby League because, I mean, they have been run so terribly for so long and it's been, you know, the cracks have been papered over a little bit just by the raw talent that comes out of New Zealand. And I think the work that, and, you know, and it's not just the NRL clubs that do it, but a lot of Australian-based NRL clubs have developed so many good junior players from New Zealand and I think that that's covered over a lot of the poor performance by the NZRL and I I think eventually it's going to happen and I wonder if it'll happen um, I wonder if it'll happen with the current player base or whether some of the current players will retire and then speak up about it because I think that a lot of the Kiwi players they don't want to rock the boat because they know that it would it would be really bad for New Zealand Rugby League if they started speaking out now and caused turmoil for the game over there. And I think that they'll probably wait until they've retired um, and then they will have something to say. That's just my feeling. That's based yeah. on, you know, that's just a hunch because they're all starting to do it. I tend to think that that is how to play out. I also think, too, that they won't take it to the media. They will just do it directly with the board and make sure that change happens that way. Um, New Zealand's interesting though because they they tend to be able to take pretty much any Pacific Islander player mm. that they that they can you know that they can, and that's something that needs to be addressed, just like Australia does. Yeah, you know that I, needs to be addressed because I'd, I'd like to see, given the size of the Pacific nations now and how well they're starting to perform, I'd like to see them have all of their all of their eligible players playing for them instead of playing for New Zealand or Australia. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, um, you know, the New Zealand Rugby League has sat on its hands for a long time and they've talked about doing a lot of things and never made that first. Like they've talked about having a Kiwi version of Origin and never once taken one single step towards having one. How would Um, that be? I mean, we're getting off topic here a little bit, but how would that even work? Like... The only way you can have a, a Kiwi origin is going to be something like North Island v South Island, and that is going to be so lopsided. North Island yeah. is going to flog South Island every time. So then you've got to look at, well, maybe it can be Auckland versus someone, but then you still got the same problem. Pretty yeah, much. Yeah, and I'm, that's like, like city, that's almost like city versus country, where it's like, you know, I know the country players get, you know, you might get the rest of New Zealand being like, yeah, we want to flog Auckland, but what are the players in Auckland really playing for? 
You know, yeah. it's it's not a big thing for them. I I think that the best way to do it is I don't know if you go like a combined Pacific Islands team versus New Zealand or uh, a Polynesian versus Maori game or you just play New Zealand versus Samoa or Tonga or whoever. I think that maybe that's the way that the game needs to head right now. But I, I do think they need that stepping stone between test level and club club level. Um, and they just simply need to... Pl- I mean, they're playing all right in amount of games now. And look, they, they play against Australia so often. The problem with the New Zealand team, and we're already talking about the New Zealand game, but <laughs> they, on a, they can win a final against Australia on any given day. They can win a final without doubt. But 80% of the time, they won't turn up. And that's a big problem for International Rugby League. It is, it is, um, especially when it comes to Australia because so many of the, the Kiwi players play alongside or opposite everyone who's in the Australian team mm-hmm. on a week-to-week basis anyway. Mm-hmm. There's no excuse for them not to turn up and be, you know, an equal with the Australian team more often than not. Um, so for them to be struggling as they do is always a bit of a worry. It really um, is. So we'll go through the the Junior Kangaroos game. That they they yep. the Junior Kangaroos won sixty two to four. Mm-hmm. Um, they led forty two nil at half time. So they only put on twenty points to four in the second half. Um, the only real big thing at this David Vita copped a, a freakish eye injury when yeah. I think Paul Marcon was on the ground kicking to get up after he'd been tackled. And he's a stray boot went up and hit Fafita as he was getting off the ground and running back on side. And it caught Fafita in the eye. Yeah, and it was, I mean, it, like sometimes you see that happen and they've just flicked the player with their boot. He properly got him about as good as you could get someone. And um, hopefully Fafita's okay. He's not, I, I think that he's been ruled out of playing for Australia for the rest of the season. Um and, you know, he's going to have plenty of time to heal for the NRL season. It was really unfortunate. I th- and We talked about this game uh, before it happened, and we are saying, I can't remember if we recorded it on podcast or not. Probably but, not. <laughs> yeah, probably not. I think we had a really, really good talk about it off the podcast. I think, New Z- I think France, sorry, needs to do this. I think they need a reset in where they, where they believe they are I think they need to reach out. They need to stop just playing England and 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 some of these European nations because they're above that. As a nation, a rugby league nation, they're above that. And I think they needed this readjustment to where they're at in the pecking order. So I think that as bad of a loss that, as this looks on paper, I think it'll in the long term be a good thing for French rugby league because they'll learn lessons from it. Yeah, I'd I'd like to see. Australia, the full-strength side, play against France on a more regular basis than they currently do. I mentioned, mm-hmm. it, I think, in a previous episode that they've only Australia's only played France four times since the 1994 Kangaroo Tour, and mm-hmm. that is disgraceful. It really and is. I don't even care who's to blame for that. Just fix it. Mm-hmm. But that, that's all we've got to do there. Yeah, um, and I don't... Look, I don't know how, in terms of travel, I don't know what the flights are like from Australia to France. But I can't see why we can't kick off any tour of, of Europe or even England with starting in France. 
with the test match, not doing it at the end of the series. I think we should start the tours of, of Europe against France. Um, they deserve it. I think they need to see the Australian Rugby League team in the strongholds where Rugby League is strong in the south of France. Um, and they just need more games. And they need more games against everyone. France needs to... And I don't know if the uh, International Rugby League, if they can fund these games a little bit more. But I would like to see France come to the Southern Hemisphere as many times as possible to play the likes of Fiji and Papua New Guinea and Australia and everyone. Yeah. And it'd be good if France could have a tour where they come over here. And England should do it as well. Mm-hmm. And Ireland and Scotland and Wales, any country who wants to do it. Mm-hmm. They should come over and just go, right, instead of playing all these little regional areas of Australia, just come out here and play international matches. Yeah. It's just got to be one each time. Papua New Guinea, yeah. Cook Islands, Tonga, Samoa, Fiji, New Zealand, Australia, go back home. Yeah, and yeah. I like, I know that it went under the radar, um, this game. And look, I, I wouldn't even be upset if it was a French, because this was described as a kind of a French B team. Even if they're sending a B team out, get, you know, build up that strength in numbers. Get those players so that they go home and they're like, okay, I know what David Fafida is doing in Australia. What what if I train harder and get towards that level? You know, and just lift the standards like that. There's... I've always said when it comes to international rugby league, you know, forget about bringing these overseas players into a team and saying that they're giving experience to other players. The only experience you get is through experience. And that's what the French team got on the weekend. And they'll be better for it, as bad as that loss was. I fully agree. Fully agree. Um, So, yeah, the young kangaroos, they did did pretty well. Zach Lomax, Victor Radley. Uh, Pappenhausen, Campbell Graham all scored, you know, a few tries each. Uh, yeah, the Australian team were never under threat here. They just raced out to a big lead half time and then just cruised through the second half. Mm. And it's, I, th- uh, we'll probably talk about it later on in the podcast with the Australian international setup. But I think that I get the feeling Australia is finally taking international rugby league seriously. And I think we've set up some pathways now for young players and it's going to be interesting to see how it turns out for the Australian test team, because we could be coming towards an era for the Australian rugby league at international level. That's pretty dominant once again, I think. Yeah. My only criticism is this should not be called junior kangaroos. I'd I like agree. junior kangaroos to be under 19s or under 20s. Mm-hmm. And they could just call this either the Prime Minister's 13, as I said before, or, yeah, Australia A. Um, yeah, that would be fine by me. Um, yeah, I agree 100%. And that we should have a – we should be having an under 20s World Cup every four years. And I, yeah. I've said that for a long time, and that's where the junior kangaroos should be. Um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, last game on Friday was the test match between Australia and New Zealand. Australia won 26-4. to um, They were never really threatened in this game. Uh, one thing that stood out for me was how average Sean Johnson played. Yeah, he was non-existent in this game. Um, I didn't have the greatest view. As I said, I was lower down in the concourse, so I didn't get the overall view of it. The first half, to me, 
seemed a, like a little it seemed like a real old fashioned test match. It was a um, a bit grindy, which is what you get at test level, and waiting for the opposition to crack. Unfortunately, in the second half, New Zealand properly cracked, and I mean Australia turned it on. That they're they're magnificent when they get into that sort of mood that they were in in the second half. Um, a couple of things that stood out for me, how big Latrell Mitchell is. Like, he's as tall as most forwards. Um, Payne Haas was, is maybe the biggest footballer I've ever seen. He's incredible. Um, Paul Vaughan is massive as well, but Haas was bigger than Paul Vaughan, which <laughs> is kind of weird to see. Paul Vaughan's staring above everyone. Haas, Haas is bigger than him. Um, they were fantastic. Um, and it was just one of those games where Australia, it's almost like they, and I've said this about Australia for a long time, I've only ever seen Australia not turn up and be real business-like about a test match once. And that was that, uh, I think it was maybe three nations final that they lost against New Zealand in 2005, I believe it was, mm. um, where New Zealand just smashed them. Every other game, Australia turns up. And this was one of those games where it was like, man, you, you just get this out of Australia where they turn up, they always play well, um, they really ask questions, and you've got to play your best game to beat them. And in that second half, New Zealand was was pretty poor. They were dire. Mm. They, they did not threaten Australia in any way, pretty much at all in that second half. Mm. It was It was hard to watch. Yeah, it's very disappointing. Um, I can say at the ground, the atmosphere was still very good. Um, I've been told that the crowd wasn't as big as it was posted. Well, uh, they posted the attendance they... was listed as 9,052. Oh, see, I when I was at the ground, it said the attendance was 18,000. Oh, that is wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, and I've been told that it's probably closer to 14. Um but, yeah, it was a good atmosphere. Everyone really enjoyed it. Um, you know, it was a good night. It was a really good night and a real good celebration of, um, you know, Australian Rugby League, really. One of the funny things was, I don't know if I've told you about this, um, at, at about 20 minutes into the match, somebody came out with uh, handfuls of New Zealand Rugby League flags and started giving them away because they couldn't sell them at all. So they were <laughs> giving out, like, as many New Zealand flags as you wanted. It was funny. Oh wow! Mm. Um, now Australia's now Mal Meninga has decided that he's he wanted to bring up David Fafita into the Test side for the next Test match, mm-hmm. which is what this weekend or something like that. Yep. Um, but Fafita's injury has meant he's had to look elsewhere, mm. and he's he's called up two players. To join to to make up for the twenty man squad, one is Victor Radley, brilliant, good move, and the other is uh, Clinton Gutherson. Melmaning needs to be sacked. Do you think that there's something in the air in the Gold Coast that rots the brain <laughs> of rugby league people, <laughs> and they start to see? things that are not glistening and fantastic and assume that it is. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, you know what? In the in the World Nines, it was really interesting watching Australia play in the World Nines. 
when Clint Gutherson got the ball, it was like, oh, yeah, he's level below this. You know, and I don't know why they've called him up at all. I just, there's no reason to. He's not at this level. Um, Gutherson is perfectly fine at NRL level. Mm -hmm. That's his maximum. Mm. He's like Mitchell Pearce. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't get it. I really don't get it. That's like weird. I, I don't even know where you'd... Well, where's he going to be playing him? It's not like Tedesco's going to be injury-prone or any of the halves. I, I don't get why you'd bring Gutherson into the side anyway, even if he was you know, a better player than he is. Where are you well, going to put him? We'll put it this way. What does Gutherson bring to an Australian rugby league team that, that Ponga wouldn't? Like, they can both play fullback and 5-8 there to stretch. Because, I mean, this is like 20th man, you know? This is an I would argue. pick. I would argue that, and you're not going to like this, but I would argue that Gutherson is a better 5-8 than Ponga. And that's because Ponga at 5-8 has one thing. He drifts left, try and engage the defender, and either pass afterwards or take on the line. That's all he's got. But what does Gutherson do? He he does other things, but he doesn't do them very well. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, but does he do them well? <laughs> this is the thing. He's got he's got variety, which is, but it's easy to it tends to be easy to shut down. Okay, well, how about this? Right, just say you're picking Gutherson for it's got to be the five eight fullback. Close to put him five right? eight. Yeah, yeah. I doubt it's for the a wing role, although you could chuck him in if you really needed to. But if you were go, going for the fullback 5'8 um, role for someone, couldn't Whiten do that at a stretch? Well, yeah, I think Whiten would be the first choice. Yeah. Um, See, so that's the thing. I, I don't get why you put a, a spine player on an extended bench when there's no injury concerns over your spine. To me, that mm. just seems weird. Yeah, I would. I like having a utility, like not on the bench, but in the squad. Um, yeah, and that's what Radley is. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, I don't. And you understand. can put you can put Bradley on the bench and bring him on to play in the back row. Oh, but he can I also think... cover the halves and hooker if need be, if there's injuries and stuff there. So he serves. He can still serve a decent purpose if he doesn't get to play his preferred position of hooker. Yeah, look, I think a, a stretch of Victor Radley could play every single position on the field. And I'm not saying he'd be a superstar at it, but I think that if you said, man, we no one else can play fullback, Victor, can you do it? He'd do his best. Um, yeah, you know, so you know he's a fantastic utility. I'm a Brayton, big fan. Astor did his best at fullback too. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about the highest individual game point score in international rugby league history, Brayton Astor. That's the one. Mm. <laughs> um, right, so we move on to Saturday. There were four international matches on Saturday. And mm. I don't know if many people know this, but um, the first one was actually played at Cabramatta. Mm-hmm. And it was Malta beating Turkey 28-12. to the, the last 20 minutes of the game, Got a little heated, mm-hmm. and it's something that happened also in the 
uh, one of the other games there, which we'll mention later on, is we saw on Twitter a fair bit people talking about how great it is that you know the one referee system. Mm. They've been they've been blinded because of all of this talk in the media over here about how shit the two referee system is and how shit the referees they rah 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 all that crap. And these same people sit there push the barrow to have one referee on the field. And what we saw on Saturday in two games in two different countries with two different referees is that one referee, when there's when there's a bit of heated stuff going on and teams starting to get a bit niggly at one another, mm-hmm. one referee loses control of the situation very quickly. Yeah. And they because they because everyone's fired up, yeah. they're trying to spot things. But they because and they're trying to referee the game at the same time. This isn't a criticism of the ref. There's no. just too much to watch. That's right. Um, especially when you're, you know, when when you don't have as many officials and eyes on the ball, uh, eyes on the game, and you don't have video technology and bunkers and stuff to help you out with with what you're doing. You're basically out there on your Pat Malone, mm. and you've got two sideline officials and they may be doing this stuff part-time. So they're not as um, intensely trained and, and skilled at officiating mm-hmm. as a lot of the players, as a lot of the officials in the NRL are. Mm-hmm. And again, not a criticism. It's because they just don't get as many opportunities to referee and officiate games. You know, they might do 10 games a year, whereas the ones in Australia are doing 20 and 30 and they're doing the most elite games that are played on the calendar every year. And then they do internationals after that. So it's, it's a problem there. Um, so yeah, it's, it got a bit far at the end of that match, but uh, Malta was, they, they were clearly the better team there. Um, it was a good performance. Jared Samet again, he, he, he tried to score on about three different occasions in the final 15 minutes, and every time the Turkish defence just held him out, and he started oh, getting a bit frustrated at the end. Yeah. Looked like he wanted to start a fight with someone for some reason. Uh, um, that's weird, because I have always said Maltese people are the nicest people I've ever met in my life. Um, I've been lucky enough to know Maltese people my entire life, and different people at different stages of my life. And they've always been the nicest people. I can't imagine a Maltese person angry. Well, he was born in Blacktown. Ah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's all so clear. There we go. There we go. Does he still dye his hair that blonde colour? I think so, yeah. Oh, man, he's got to get rid of that. He looks he looks like the dude from uh, the band Everclear. He needs to get rid of that look. Wow. That's a reference that I'd forgotten about a long time ago. Yep, plenty have. <laughs> um, the next game saw the Tonga Invitational team beat Great Britain fourteen to six. And boy, yeah, there's a bit to unpack here. There's a bit to unpack here. Yes. Right, well, gonna, well, I was going to start with okay. One of the problems I find here with this Great Britain team is having a coach in Australia who isn't. He doesn't have eyes on the English game because mm-hmm. there were players who have been picked in that Great Britain team who just shouldn't have been there. And I'll say it, okay, Jermaine McGilvery, Ryan Hall, shouldn't have been anywhere near that side. I would have had Regan Grace on one of those wings as a bare minimum. The mm-hmm. bloke's got speed 
And I think that was something that Great Britain needed. They needed a go-to X Factor somewhere on the field, and they just didn't have it. Yeah, and they, I mean, I don't know if Wayne Bennett is looking at Hall and McGilvray for their size, I, but that's all it can be because they're, they're too slow. They're immobile. Um, they don't play the wing position very well. Their positioning is, is terrible. Um, Hall looks like he's done, you know, uh, and, and they do. They need, they need someone dangerous on the wings, and these two just aren't dangerous. No. Um, they basically, I mean, Tonga's forward pack blasted them for 80 minutes, and that the Great Britain just did not, were, they were unable to respond. Like, they tried hard for 80 minutes, but they just weren't good enough. And I think that what we saw was something that I, I know I've been saying for a number of years now. Tonga is better than than England for sure. Um, and Tonga was didn't get much out of their halves, and England didn't get much out of theirs. Widdop did a couple of interesting things during the game, but he was hampered by the fact that his forward pack was not able to go forward. Um, and, and the you know Coot and um, Jackson Hastings once again. They were shown to be good at club level, but not that next level sort of player. I mean, Coot got absolutely annihilated in a couple of big tackles, and Hastings just looked. And I don't like saying this because he's he's had to fight hard to get where he is, but he looked out of his depth at this level, unfortunately for England. Um, I will say this though for Jackson Hastings, he is only young. Yeah. He's shown plenty of potential this year in his first season over there in England. Yeah. And I think I'd like to see England slash Great Britain persevere with him, but um, he does need to have he does need to have a, a lot more experience at these high-level games. I don't know how they get that, but uh, he, it just, he just looks like he needs a bit of extra polish, a bit more guidance, a bit more, con, you know, learn how to control a game a bit better. He just sort of and, looked to be playing a little bit off the cuff a bit to me sometimes, which was generally um, ineffective and useless and, and bad for the team. And that was kind of the knock on him when he was trying to break into the NRL as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he do, he needs, he does, he needs more competition at that level, but he just didn't offer a great deal. And, and British Rugby League now is in an interesting situation because, uh, you know, it looks like Sam Burgess might be retiring. James Graham's right near the end of his career. And, I, like, I hope James Graham plays till he's 40. I love James Graham quietly. Um, he's brilliant. He really is. He's just I, I raise him as a much better prop than that Thompson, whatever, and was in England was talking up as the best prop in the world. Well, he lasted 12 minutes. Yeah, I would take um, James Graham in a heartbeat over that bloke. 100%, 100%. Every day of the week. I just worry that this is this is a sign of where British Rugby League actually is. They're, they're not producing outside backs at all. Like, their outside backs are... They're not even first grade players, in my opinion, um, and we've—it's been proven for the most part. I like this isn't even something that is theoretical. This is something that's been proven. 
they're not producing halves that are of any quality at all. And so they're having to go to Australia for it. And their best forwards on on their way out. And the guys that are replacing them are, are okay, but just okay. And when you see them play against a team like Tonga, where their forwards are some of the best in the world. I mean, I would say that they're probably second behind Australia right now, their forward pack. And they're led by Jason Taumalolo, who is, I mean, you rate him, you've got to rate him on an all-time scale. Um, yeah, I do. I really worry now. I, th- I think that there's been a treading of water in British rugby league for a, a good 10 years where they've managed to get keep going, keep going. They've had some wins over New Zealand teams that have not turned up and it's looked good. But I think now it's all of those issues now can't be hidden. And look, they might win this series against New Zealand that's coming up because the Kiwis don't turn up sometimes. But yeah, I think Tonga really, if Tonga had have had a decent half, they would have won by about 40 points. Would we? Okay, I've got a theory, okay, as to why the English and slash Great Britain side is so mm-hmm. poor. Mm-hmm. And it's going to sound a bit long-winded. Mm-hmm. I, I put it down to the, the farcical promotion relegation system because yep. what it breeds is short-term thinking. Yeah. And what I mean by that is each team is trying to make sure that they either get promoted mm-hmm. or don't get relegated. And yeah. the best way to do that is to make sure that you are at your best every year. And the best way to do that is to try and poach players from the best competition in the world every year. Mm-hmm. And so their focus is to spend all the money they have on getting players from Australia to come over and play in their team to bolster their ranks or from New Zealand instead of investing huge chunks of money in junior development mm-hmm. and i think so many years like we're talking since 1996 when the super league was in when they had the opportunity then to hit the reset button and change everything and they just didn't and this is just a, an ongoing issue that was starting to rear its head in the early 90s and we're at a situation now where you can't go back and fix it england's going to be in a situation where they're going to have such limited quality juniors coming through, mm-hmm. they're going to start getting spanked by a lot of other teams. And when your national teams are getting spanked, it's hard to start to get kids interested in playing for them. Yeah, and I think that also you've got an issue where the Rugby Football League is is building up the championship, and they're doing a pretty nice job of that. Now, they also want Super League clubs to have reserve grade teams, and that that's a must, that you just have yes. to have that. But they haven't got the overall player pool and the player depth to do both. So, And one is going to suffer. And if it's the reserve grade competition, that's going to be just as bad for player development. And if it hurts the championship, that's going to just kill the championship. I mean, I can't imagine that these Super League clubs are going to get these reserve grade players from anywhere other than championship clubs. Um, there's also a lot more money that needs to be outlaid to do this in the British game. So they're in a real, it's like a catch-22 situation. Yeah, they, they're um, kind of running, the, running the, the risk of creating a bigger gap between Super League and the next division down because most of the, yeah, as you say, most of the championship players are probably going to end up being reserve grade, which means 
the majority of what's left over will be League One, which is third division. Yeah, and how can those clubs survive in terms of the finance? I mean, if they're putting on games of football in the championship and, and people are basically watching amateur players run around, they're going to know it. You know, when these teams start getting decimated by Super League's reserve grade teams, they're going to know it and it's going to hurt their bottom line. And we know how perilous the situation is financially for the vast majority of clubs in England. Um, it's it's a real worry. The only thing that is going to get them out of it, I think, is if NRL clubs start scouting uh, English Rugby League and keep developing players. But, you know, that's not always going to... That's no. not always going to be what's going to get them out of trouble. They're a whole nation. They're the first rugby league playing nation. And to see them lose to a small island nation like Tonga, and this isn't just England. This was Great Britain. It's it's a real well, worry. It was it was more rest of the world than Great Britain. Let's be honest. I mean, well, they had what three Australians in the team. More Australian, more Australian when, ball players than were from real Scotland, real Wales, and real Ireland combined. Yeah, when you've got all of Wales, Ireland, England, and Scotland to to choose from for your test squad, and you are unable to get enough to field a seventeen man team that's competitive, so you have to draw on people who were born in Australia. That's a problem that needs to be looked at. Yeah. Especially when the players that they brought up from Australia to play for Great Britain weren't exactly, then I mean they weren't even state of origin quality players in Australia. Well, it's not like the, it was. And look, Australia used to do it. We don't do it as much now, which is good. It's disgusting when we were doing it. Um, but it's not like Great Britain called up semi uh, semi radradra, you know. It's not like they were calling up Akiliwate uh, when he was at his try scoring best. Mm-hmm. It's they're calling up and they're calling up this level of players because they have to, because they the players just aren't there. Um, you know, it, it's a real, real worry. And it, I, I was going to say with the club thing, would it work? I know, I know. English clubs that all have the shits over. I mean, if they can't even handle changing their name to appeal to a bigger market, then this idea is never going to work. Mm-hmm. But instead of trying to have a reserve grade competition, just have every Super League club has to be affiliated with a championship side and a League One side and have the same number of teams in each competition. So each Super League team has a championship team and a League One team. You can still have I... the promotion relegation because as soon as one team yeah. goes up or down, yep. then... The affiliations change. I was arguing this point 15 years ago, and a lot of English fans hated it. Yeah, they see they, it as an attack on their clubs. Oh, what? So that's going to be a closed shop, and we'll never be able to get promoted. And what happens if we get promoted? They hate it. They their championship clubs and their fans and their supporters. And as we saw with Swinton, they feel as though they're this special thing, and they'd rather die a tiny little club than look for something bigger. Yeah, it's it's crazy small-mindedness. And really, this is the problem, okay? England fans surely can see that the game is not going forwards in leaps and bounds in England as it should be. Mm-hmm. Which means you need to start looking at 
completely new ideas. Yeah. And if I'm completely honest, I'd say have 16 teams in Super League and completely abolish promotion relegation so that Super League clubs can stop panicking about whether they're going to die or not or get relegated. And they can stop poaching players, you know, fringe first graders and, the, and you know, old players from Australia. They can actually sit there and go, right, let's put this money into developing tons and tons of juniors and we can bring them through League One. We can bring it through Championship. You've got the, you've got the structure mm-hmm. right there to bring, play, to bring these young players through and make sure that when they get to Super League, they've been hardened through the lower grades and they've played good football along the way and they're ready to go when the scissor hits Super League. How is that a bad idea? Like promotion relegation to me is just, it's absurd. Oh, it's disastrous. It's, it's a club-killing system. And, I mean, you look at if we had it now, we would have just relegated the, the Gold Coast Titans, right? And possibly and so the Dragons. We, yeah, yeah. And who would we have brought up? We would have brought up the Burley Bears and Newtown. the Newtown Jets. You know, <laughs> it would just be stupid. Um, I feel as though Rugby League in Great Britain has, and this is incredible, I can't believe it, they haven't hit the crisis point yet. And I wonder what the crisis point has to be before somebody says, oh, yeah, we can't keep doing this. We need to make massive changes. It's going to upset people, but we're going to do this to survive. Because here's something that's really scary. Now two Super League clubs and not in Britain. You've got a French team and you've got a Canadian team. It's just the beginning of that. You know, what, and what, yeah. at what point do these international clubs who uh, they've got their eye on those British pounds and, and that Super League, you know, money, at what point do you get enough of those sorts of clubs together that are being built? You know, you, there's talk of a New York team. There's talk of an Ottawa team. Um, Toulouse is ready to come in. At what point do you get enough of those sorts of clubs where they do this real scary thing, which is say, hey, we don't need these English clubs. And that's and they can all walk away as a block together. And that's when, I mean, is that going to be enough? Is it going to be enough when the rugby football union, you know, taps Leeds, Wigan, St. Helens and Hull FC on the shoulder and say, look, we're sick of this. We'll buy you for an immense amount of money and that will be it. You know, I don't know what the crisis thing was supposed to be. I thought that a team like the Bradford Bulls dying would have been the crisis, but apparently it's not. It's not well, enough to make real proper changes. When they went and into I, administration the first time after oh, getting relegated, that was when Bell should have been ringing. A team like Bradford should never be going to administration. Never. They're a whole city. A, yeah. One club, one city. The One of the four teams that have won a Super League title. Now there's only three of them. How? What, has it got to be two? Has it got to be down to one? I don't know what the crisis point is. Which of the three remaining teams needs to get relegated for the, for the league to, to stand up and go, shit, we've got to do something? I don't know. I'm thinking know. Wigan. If, imagine if Wigan got relegated. It would be terrible. It would be really terrible. It's terrible that London got relegated this year. Like, they had an all right season. Imagine you look this, at okay. All... In 10 years' time, you could be looking at a Super League that contains 
if you know if they stick with twelve teams, Toulouse, Catalan, Toronto, Ottawa, New York, London. That's half the competition is made up from teams that aren't mm-hmm. from the north of England. Mm-hmm. And, and you'd, have, you'd have to have St Helen, Wigan, and Leeds there, so which means you've got three other northern English teams likely in the in the comp. Yeah, and at some point that the money will decide it, and. I tell you what, it's going to be way easier to sell an international comp- club competition than it is to sell a competition when most of the teams are little towns in northern England. Oh, boy. There's... Corporate needs to do something. Uh, they need to start at, at the bottom. They need to start on creating talent and getting it through. Because uh, it's, it's looking bad. And I know it's it, only one game, but, I mean, this is... This is a culmination of several years of of this sort of stuff going on and nothing being done about it. Yeah, and it's you've seen it coming. And the the crazy thing is Tonga's only going to get stronger. Fiji is only going to get stronger. Samoa, I think Samoa beats this Great Britain team pretty handily. I mean, their halves are way better than Tonga's halves and their forwards are damn good as well. I think they would smack Great Britain. Um you know, where is Great Britain going to be in 10 years' time? Because it started out, well, Australia's beaten us, but we're still second. And then it was New Zealand started beating them pretty regularly. Now it's Tonga. Who's next? It, you know, do they have to... I mean, would you put your... Would you put a 1000 bucks that Great Britain is going to beat Papua New Guinea at the end of this tour? I wouldn't. No. No. And look, I'm... I'd say that Great Britain are probably favourites to beat Papua New Guinea, mm-hmm. but it's I, I, I'd be surprised if it's a blowout. I'd I'd expect it to be a, a close, a pretty close sort of game. Here's a question for you: Just say Great Britain loses against New Zealand three nothing, and then I mean, even if they win against PNG, do they then go home? And there's a big change to what... Ha- I mean, is that the change they need? Do nothing they need change. to lose... Or, nothing? Nothing will change. Because I'll just go, oh, this is just a Great Britain thing. We'll just dissolve it and go back to being England again. Yeah. It's kind of what they did last time, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You are You know what? You're right. You're right. I just don't understand how you allow it to get worse and worse and worse. And, um, because it's not cheaper. Not about it. Because it's cheap. Yeah, you're right. You're it's a right. Cheap option. <laughs> I look. You know what? I look at what Mal Meninga has done with the Australian setup, and how he has tried to. And this is the Australian rugby league test setup, and you can see the changes he's made, the way he's building it up, the way he's building pathways, even for the very elite players out of Australia. But why isn't Great Britain doing that? Don't know. I mean, Mel's even talking about bringing back tours, yeah. which just has to happen. There's no better way to get players to get better than to get experience against players who they've never played against before. It doesn't matter how good they are. Like, you talk to any Australian player who, in the past who's played against Papua New Guinea, mm-hmm. and as much as Australia were winning those games by 50 points or whatever, they'll all tell you that they didn't like playing those games because the Papua New Guinea players tackled so much harder than anyone else. Yeah. That's an experience every player has to have. 
You've got to play against people you've never been up against because they're playing a different style. You don't know what you're up against. It challenges you as a player to try and read the game better and read what your opponents are doing a bit better because they'll do things completely differently. Even teams who play badly, they'll be doing something that is not consistent with what you're used to playing against, which is a challenge for you. It's, it's something Great Britain needs to do. They need to be playing more games against Pacific Islands. They can't keep I'll, playing against European teams. I agree. I, I, I wonder if we're just seeing the fact that because a lot of their players still come from Super League, are we seeing the fact that Super League is just now that far behind the NRL that even fringe first grade NRL players, they're just better prepared for the toughness, the grind that a test match involves than a lot of these. I mean, there are a lot of pretty big name, you know, players that have been stars in Super League that they get to test level and they're nothing. You know, we're talking about record breakers in Super League, have a thousand bloody winner's trophies hanging around their neck and they get to the international stage and they're terrible. Um, I wonder if Super League has just slipped to such a point that it, you know, they're, they're just not ready for this step. It's like three or four steps above what they used to be. I'll, I'll say this, which I think is a problem that England Rugby League has had for a long time, mm-hmm. um, other than the whole promotion relegation thing, is um, they play too many games. Yeah. Like you throw in, they've got, what, 20, is it 20 or no, 28 or something games all up if you make it to the grand final? And then you throw in the Challenge Cup on top of that. You're playing 30 games every year. And you've got um, those, uh, you know, the what what is it, Boxing Day games or, yeah. you know, those games around the end of this year. They've still got those games that hang around. Yeah. And I know it doesn't sound like it's that much longer than the NRL season, but it is longer. Mm-hmm. And to me, when you've got, you know, the NRL season is pretty much a spot on length i'd probably i'd probably knock four rounds out of it and have it back to 22 rounds yep. but there's also the argument that it's not a fair competition until everyone plays each other home and away which means you'd have to have 30 rounds which is too long mm-hmm. the english have 12 teams in their top competition that is a perfect sweet 22 rounds right there is it, is it not i think it is but then yeah, they Play home and away, it'll be, yeah, 22 games. And they just have a top five. And, I mean, this is the thing. You can't just say scrap the Challenge Cup. It's an historical thing. It draws big crowds for the final anyway. But, so that means they need to reduce the length of the Super League season to accommodate Challenge Cup, so you can still have that as well. At the moment, they're playing too many games. So when Repon has finally come around, I think it's probably a point that their bodies are just completely tired and busted. Yeah, there, there is that point, um, and that's a good one. But then I like, I look at the forwards that have come over to Australia, and we've been lucky. I mean, Adrian Morley was a very good forward. Uh, Sam Burgess was a very good forward. Um, James Graham was a bit different. He was a, a different sort of play to those two. I think his heights weren't the same as theirs, but he, I mean, he's a grinder. That's his role. And 
he much that, more consistent too, so he doesn't have the lows that they have either. Exactly. I mean, we know what James Graham's going to give you for these next three tests, for instance. Yeah. Um, but I think that other players like Bateman and Whitehead are a lower level than him. And I think I think maybe Gareth Widdop, and he's great. At one point, I think he was the best player in the world for a short period of time. But he might be just an anomaly. You know, he, he went to Melbourne very, very young. He's almost yeah. more of a product of the Australian system and, more importantly, the Melbourne system. Um, Could you argue, though, that the reason why those forwards that you mentioned were so good is because they came over here and had a much less demanding schedule? Well, I, I, I would say this. Um Sam Burgess as an athlete was always pretty special. And he was, like, I remember even as a teenager, he was like, the NRL's where I'm going. Um, and Morley was a little bit older, but he come over to test himself. I, I put it this way. When Morley come over, remember Harvey Howard? Mm-hmm. I think that more English players, and forwards in particular, are more Harvey Howard than Adrian Morley. And I yeah. think that they've been a little bit lucky that they've had a couple of generational players come through and it's maybe skewed the way that they've thought about themselves. Because if you take, and look, it's very easy to say, take this, this, this player and use average. You do it to the Australian team as well. But you take out Burgess and Graham and Widdup from the last, say, I mean, even like maybe 15 years who's the next best player and are they somebody that anybody would have to worry about? Well, I mean, we saw him, it was Sam Tompkins. Uh, we, we can joke about how poor he was at the Warriors, but when he was in the Super League before coming over to the Warriors, he was undoubtedly their absolute star player over there mm-hmm. and had been for a few years. Mm-hmm. Why he struggled at the Warriors, is pr- there's probably a lot of reasons behind it, not just, you know, Ability. I think his ability was fine. I think he's just too big a move. And, and to the wrong club. To the wrong club as well. And he, I watched him in the World Nines. and He looked brilliant. It, 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 he was... You know the thing I've always said about Tompkins? He has the instincts of a 5'8". He has the vision of a 5'8". He, he doesn't have... And he, he's bigger, a little bit bigger now, which was good to see... But he never had the physical size that you need to play 5'8", unfortunately. And then he goes to the Warriors where they sort of just chucked him in the deep end. And then he got some injury issues and stuff like that. I would love to have seen him go to somewhere like the Melbourne Storm and see what they did with him. Because I yeah. think they would have given him a role. They would have said, look, we want you to do this. Just do this and nothing else. And I would have loved to have seen how he went. I think that if he come back to the NRL now and played at certain clubs, he'd be way better than he was when he was at the Warriors. And, and, and I say that, and he's not tearing up Super League like he used to. So, you know, I just... I talked so much about Great Britain many, many years ago and what was going on and what was happening. Now I just feel tired when I talk about it, and I feel sad, because I know, and you would remember this, was there anything better then staying up in the middle of the night and watching Australia play Great Britain in a test match. Nothing about it. That was the thing that was Nothing. great. And 
and this is the thing is you wanted to you wanted to beat them and as much yeah. as you know throughout my childhood obviously I was fortunate that I, I followed a I followed rugby league at a time when Australia never lost a series to Great Britain but you never wanted to lose to them and it was never an easy game no and at the same time the one thing that I hate to see is Australia flogging an opponent who they should be having a tough match with mm. and I we we you know obviously we've we've ripped on him an awful lot in previous episodes, but we get down to the nitty gritty of it. I want to see Great Britain going toe to toe with Australia and New Zealand because I find that I get more engaged in the game if I feel that my team is a threat of losing. Same Whereas here. if I'm watching Australia or New Zealand play against Great Britain, and Great Britain are turned out like they did on the weekend, I look at it and go, Ugh. I mean yeah. if they they can't beat Tonga. It's a good thing they're not coming up against Australia because that could just get messy and that would just be sad. I mean, that's the thing. I, I don't sit there and gloat about the fact that Australia beat New Zealand and New Zealand just looked average. To me, that's just disappointing. Mm, same here. Same here. I look at it and, and, and being lucky enough to be there when they won the World Cup in Brisbane and it was electric like you can't explain what it's like when the air is full of electricity and you've just witnessed history and you've watched the great the great benji marshall be better than everyone in the biggest international game there's nothing like that and to be able to beat an australian team that always turns up on their home soil like it's incredible and that's why I'm more excited to see Australia play against Tonga this weekend than I kind of was to see them play New Zealand because I don't know what's going to happen against Tonga. Australia's probably going to win. But I would rather see Australia play different opponents and win than just beat New Zealand and Great Britain over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, And I can say that because never in my lifetime have I seen Great Britain beat Australia in a test series, you know, ever. To the point uh, it, where they don't even bother playing test series anymore just to, I dare say, to save them the embarrassment. Well, can you imagine if this Great Britain team this week was playing Australia, somewhere in Australia where the weather's warmer? They, I mean, Australia would wipe the floor with them. I think the Australian A team would smash them. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it's just It's just sad. It's like it's. I'm sitting here, like looking down, thinking, "Man, it's it's just sad." I wish it wasn't like that. I hope they do something to turn it around. Do, here's a question for you: Do you think uh, Wayne Bennett? I don't think he's the coach for them, and I said that leading into the World Cup when they couldn't score a point against Australia. Um, yeah. Who who would you look at for as a coach for Great Britain? That's a good question. You know what? I think too often. Uh, Great Britain has thought they need to get a current coach to coach the national team. Mm -hmm. And I think if there's anything Mel Meninga has shown us is you don't need a tactician Mm -hmm. as a head coach when you've got your national level. You need someone who's got um, strong ties with the team, they've played for the team, um, and they can teach you about what it means to play for them and how to treasure the the jumper and all sort of thing. and motivate the players to play. Be a, a man manager more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know. Maybe, 
I think they've got to get some older heads in there who have played there and played with a bit of passion, like Adrian Morley and the like. But don't you think that they do also need somebody, because this was a failure for Great Britain for a long time, like their use of the bench was diabolical. Um, They do need somebody that is able to control something like that pretty well. Yeah, they do. Um, I don't know, maybe Ellery Hanley, if he'd be interested. He's done coaching before. Um, I'd, I'd rather see him than Bennett in there. Yeah, Wayne Bennett is just so far wrong. You need yeah. someone who's in England who is who is known as being one of the absolute all-time greats of the game, and Hanley is that. Yep. Um, a fire as well, though. He's probably a bit different given he was a winger, but um, yeah, I'd prefer Hanley because he was a playmaker. He's also a forward. He knows what you need for both roles. Um, passionate about playing for the team, playing for the country. Um, and also has some tactical skills, but you you just know he he'd be able to provide the all around package you need as a coach there. And certainly you should put good assistant coaches around him. His job comes about motivating the team and and, and unifying them and getting focused on playing for Great Britain and what it means for them. And he can add you can add some of the the skill stuff and stuff around that as well. But his his job should be motivating the team. And I don't think a Great Britain player is going to feel like they should be playing for a coach who's never played in the country. Yeah, it's, it's got to be difficult. It's got to yeah. be difficult. I think because we've got uh, Maguire is coaching New Zealand. Yeah. But, I mean, a lot of these, the Kiwi players, they're used to playing well, you look at someone like Christian Wolf, though. I mean, the Tongan players absolutely love that bloke. He's been tied in with that club, though, for with that nation, though, at coaching level for a long time. And that's probably a reason why they love him so much. He's been there yeah. so long. Um, and, yeah, a New Zealand coach coming from Australia is not a big drama because he sees all those New Zealand players playing every week anyway, just in the NRL. Mm-hmm. But I think... Great Britain really needs to start thinking internally, mm-hmm. and that is stop putting Australian-born players in the in their national side. Well, I don't I care how good they are. You need to prove that you can compete as British players or Great Britain players, and you don't need the help of of bloody Aussies and Kiwis and everybody else in there. You can do it on your own, and that's motivating. And yeah, I get a British legend in there as involved in the coaching at some level. Bennett's got to go. Yeah. I, I, I've said before, Bennett will get your team 85% of the way there, but that extra bit, he he's proven he can't do it anymore, I think. But uh, anyway, we should talk about these other games because we watched a really cool game, actually. Okay. Well, before we get to that one, Scotland uh, absolutely thumped Serbia 86-0. Now, Serbia had a player sent off in the early in the first half, and Scotland looked like they were going to break all the records, and everyone was looking for the record books. Um, including us. Including us. It was a 52, 56 nil at half time. Yeah, but the um, thing, wasn't it something like, it was something like 40 nil after 25 minutes, like something about that. Yeah. And we yeah. were sitting here talking to each other, because we couldn't unfortunately see the game, but... 
we were talking to each other like, how's that even possible? You know, we get, we, as you said, we're scrambling for the records and they were on record pace for probably all up until that last 15 minutes of the first half. Yeah. Um, so Serbia's credit, they only conceded 30 points in the second half with 12 men on the field, but uh, that's a big loss for Serbia. They would have been going into that match reasonably confident that they could go toe-to-toe with Scotland and possibly even get a win. So to go down like that is, that's going to hurt them big time. Yeah. Um, we then sat up and watched an interesting game between Spain and Ireland. And Very interesting. <laughs> Spain's side was full of mostly players involved in the French leagues. Um, Ireland's was mostly local players. Um, and for the most part, Spain were... They were right in this game for probably... We have to guess about an hour of game time. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and like the Spanish team... It's funny because sometimes you can watch these internationals against these really developing nations now, and you can see that they don't know how to play the game all that well. There were some players in the Spanish team, like their halfback was actually pretty damn good. His kicking game was nothing short of phenomenal in this match. Um, He was doing a few things around the field that were really like, it stood out. He might have been the best player in the field. But yeah, he was he was very good. Eventually, they got like were just the grind got to them and the uh, clock a little bit too. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did have a look at the clock because there was. I know people were telling me in the live chat that the way the clock works on the the live stream with that particular broadcaster was it, it goes for forty five minutes, and then they have injury time after it's and, and stoppage time, whatever it was. Um, but it is officially 40 minutes of game time they were, they were trying to tell me, but... Uh, There's no way. There's it's, no... It's hard, to, it's hard to accept. So the way the stream went, okay, the clock went to 45 minutes for both halves, so it was very soccer-oriented. Mm. And then once it hit 45 minutes, we went into stoppage time or injury time, mm. and we didn't know how long that went for. So... We started counting. We started counting. <laughs> A freaky... Freaky counted how many minutes each half was. So the first half was... It was 47... It was 47 minutes. 47 and a half minutes. Yeah. That's right. And the second half was much longer. Yes. From memory. Yeah. It ended up that the entire game time was about 105 minutes. And, like, I'm talking by a stopwatch. Because when we were watching the first half... We're like, okay, well, he's gonna. Why is he not calling it up? And then the clock keeps ticking, and we're like, okay, that just keeps ticking. And then we get to a point where we're like, do they think it's forty-five minute halves? And then even at forty-five minutes, the clock stops, but they keep playing footy. So we're ready in the second half. So I put a stopwatch on it, and yeah, we all up to game time was about a hundred. It was a hundred and five and a half minutes all up. And we need to stress that. This game did not go into overtime. No. Um, Ireland won this 42-8, to eight, but, um, yeah, literally up until the last, you know, as I said, 20-odd minutes of actual game time. Um, I think it was about 22-8 to eight or so to Ireland. It was yeah, still it was, sort of in the balance. 
Yeah, yeah. They if Spain had have been able to score, it would have been game on. And Ireland ran away from it. It was funny because you were doing the live updates and um, the live updates you ended up having, like, to put in three tries in the space of about 90 seconds because it, it, they were scored so, like, 15 minutes after the game should have been over. It was incredible. Yeah, that was that was difficult. Um, this was also the other game of the match where it was littered with flare-ups. Mm. And at one point, the Ireland's halfback went uh, went running down the field chasing after one of the Spanish players to have an altercation with him and he ended up getting sin-binned. Don't know what the hell that was about or what went on there, but yeah, just you, you weird look, shit like that. At, you looked at the replay, because we didn't have replays. It was kind of just live straight the way through. You actually took your feet and rewound it and tried to find something and you couldn't find anything because... But it was funny because the way you described it is, was like, he just went crazy. <laughs> yeah. Irish halfback just went crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Lost his tool and just went running around trying to bash I, someone. I would love to know how long he spent off the field, hey. <laughs> I, I bet it's, he was off that field for 25 minutes. I didn't see when he ran on. It was the longest man. spinning ever. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was... It was insane, but um, insane in a way that it was bloody enjoyable, even if it was from 2 a.m. till 4 a.m. Yeah, we had a good laugh watching it. And, um, like, as as you were saying, you watch these games and you're, there's something about them. There's a little bit of a magic about them that you kind of want more of them. And you're, um, you're not distracted by graphics and stats and commentators and camera angles and that sort of stuff. You've pretty much got one camera, no commentary. It's just you watching football. Mm. And, and watching people that love playing footy and yeah. that, you know, that they are as proud to play for their country as the Kangaroos players are. That's right. Uh, so I, I thought I'd do a quick, um, a quick mention here of the games that are coming up this weekend. Mm-hmm. Because we've got quite a few. We might even have a few more late-night ones. Mm-hmm. So on Friday, Greece plays Scotland. On Saturday, Samoa plays Fiji. Australia plays Tonga. Uh, and New Zealand plays Great Britain. And Italy plays Spain. Oh, wow. A big, big day on Saturday. Yeah, uh, so many games that are going to be interesting. I think we'll probably do a little bit of a preview show. Um about the some of the test matches coming up. But, you know, the game I'm really looking forward to is Fiji versus Samoa. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be keen to see how Greece plays, plays against Scotland, to be honest. That's going to be a pretty good game. Mm. Um, and New Zealand v Great Britain. Uh, yeah, I want to see... I think if Sean Johnson improves... And comes out playing really good football against Great Britain. That that can become a uh, quite an inflated scoreline there. What do you think? Because I don't know if Foran is injured or not. Because I I was surprised that Johnson played rather than Foran. Um, if Foran's not injured, I replace Johnson one hundred percent. Absolutely. If if Foran isn't available, do you put in Jerome Hughes? Oh, I, 
I don't know. I I don't rate Hughes as a half. I think Neither he's a good fullback. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know what to do there. Um, I I think what I'd do is I'd switch Marshall and Johnson. Okay. Take some pressure off Johnson. Because mm-hmm. Benji's fine with it. Um, I think that would be a solution there to help Sean Johnson out a bit. I, I, I would drop him. I, I don't rate Hughes as a halfback either, but I feel as though, especially playing against Great Britain, who, I mean, their halves aren't great. Um, I think that he would get the job done, and he would give you. He, he wouldn't be so terribly disappointing. He might not be have the same ceiling that Johnson potentially does, but he also has a much higher basement, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, just having a look here. I've, I had a bit of a wild idea. Just mm. want to check the, uh, the lineup for the test match that was played last week when New Zealand played Australia. Mm-hmm. Would it be worthwhile putting RTS at six? Nickel Clockstab at fullback. Ooh, man, I would say that RTS could just about do anything on a footy field. I think he's one of the best three players in the world. Um, wouldn't be the worst. I, I, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. He'd be hard to stop as a ball runner. If they gave him, if they gave him a role that was. Real basic, like a, a Bellamy sort of style. That look, I just want you to do a couple of things. Don't give him heaps. Don't give him free reign. Just say, look, I want you to just be a ball running five eighth. Yeah. I think that would work really well for them. And Clogstad at the back, it, I've got no problems about him. He's fantastic. He, in fact, I think he'd be. Um, I, I look RTS is a different level. He's he's a superstar. But I think at the back, um, Clogstad is going to give you. Um, everything you still need at the fullback. Benji with um, RTS running off him, Clogstad out the back. Oh, man, I like that, Andrew. That's a good one. <laughs> that, that's that's kind of the out-of-the-box thinking that I think New Zealand might need to come up with for that. And if you've got him running it, like, um, they're, they're not going to know what to do with RTS. No. I mean, he's a giant of a man anyway, RTS. Um, damn, I really like that. Do they, yeah. do they pull the trigger on it, though? It's a gutsy move. Yeah, it takes some balls. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It'd be It's something they could look at, I guess, as a, even if they just keep the lineups as they are, mm-hmm. but just change them around positionally on the, when they get on the field. Yeah. It'd catch Australia, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, you, you can't just have one defender running out of the line as a back rower at RTS. No. You, one defender's not going to shut him down, especially when he's got ball in hand and, and he's the one moving forward. Yeah, and he's got the ball-playing ability that, you know, as I said, if you just say to him, look, I want you to be a ball runner, his natural ball-playing ability is going to kick in. Um yeah, I really like that. That would be that would be horrifying to Great Britain. It would be. Damn, I really like that. You should be a coach. Well, I'm available. 
<laughs> Hashtag hire me. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, on that note, right, if if anybody at the International Rugby League is listening, you've got two dudes here that sit up until 4 a.m. watching Spain versus Ireland. We are ready. I'm a, I'm a caller. I call football games already. I call New South Wales Cup games. You've got a commentator and a historian. If you want somebody to call these games in English over the top of all this stuff, get in touch with us. Podcast at leaguefreak.com. Our rates are very reasonable. And we'll, we'll even do it seriously. Yeah. We're, we wouldn't do a piss take one. It would be a full on. We'd research these players. We would be full on with it. So, yeah, we do it properly. Absolutely. Get in touch with us. Get in touch. And if you want to get in touch with us, you find us on Twitter, at FergoFreakPod. Mm-hmm. Um, any shout-outs you want to do? Uh, shout-outs. Let's have a look here, eh? Let's let's look through the old Twitter. Um, first of all, how nice was it to have Greeno on today? He was a great guest. He was. It's fantastic. Um we're already working on something with with um with the with the block boys, so the uh, the Dutch rudder isn't dead yet. It's still going on. It's still on. Yeah, we were um man. I think when we do that that episode that we've got coming up with them, where did they say it was? March, January, hey, March. The one the one we're going to do with them, Unity yeah. Day. I don't even know what the date of that is. Yeah, I'm not sure what the date is. Um, Bruno has to tell yeah. us. Yeah, they'll let us know, but I, I might get hammered for that. Um, yeah, the starting block. Go to Twitter, put in the starting block, drop the K at the end, follow the boys, Boogie Bumper as well. Um, you know, all of our usual listeners. Hello, Nadine. Hello, Richard Cranium. Hello, Bartram13. Hello, Mo Storm. It's Mo Storm, isn't it? Uh, Mo, is it Mo Storm or Mofo Storm? Oh, is it Mofo Storm? Yeah, I think so. Okay. They know uh, who I'm talking about. <laughs> Carsten Brummer. Yep. Got any touch James, with this? James Smith, 1001. Yes. Um, check, make, sure you, make sure you check out Inside Sport we, uh, magazine this month. Uh, sorry, in November. There might be a little profile piece in there about the uh, Big Bash League in the cricket. Oh, nice. Do you know who wrote it? Oh, funnily enough, I think it was a rugby league historian. Oh, really? Yeah. What would he know about cricket? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting selection. Uh, oh, yeah. Hello to Tia. She's up. She's just uh, liked one of my tweets, so I thought I'd say hello. Um, who else have we got here? G'day, Dr. Alan Pierce. I know he listens in. Um. Yeah. Who else? Uh, Sam. We already said hello to Sam. I'll actually. I'll give a shout out to. Uh, oh, Paul Nathan. MC. Oh yeah, Paul MC. I'll give a shout out to Nathan. Um, met him at a kid's birthday party a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and good, good bloke. He loves the podcast. Uh, he said he went up to went for a drive from Melbourne up to Sydney and, and listened to us all the way up there and all the way back. Oh, nice. I went, Jesus Christ, that's got to be the worst idea for a, for a, <laughs> a six to eight hour drive I could think of, but there you go, listening to myself the whole time. <laughs> nah, a podcast is good, eh? 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, so no, that was uh, that was good. So cheers, mate, for tuning in. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I think we're good with everything. Go to uh, Patreon dot com forward slash RL project. Yeah, get in there and make a monthly donation. It can be as little as a dollar up to you know, some people donating twenty five bucks a month. Um so get in there and, and help us out. We've got a ton of stuff coming up this uh, this off season. So um and and in the future. Boy, there's a lot of stuff that's gotta be put in there. Yeah, I think I said brilliant. before that the, the site's about thirty two percent complete. Just to give you a rough idea. Yeah, it's uh you know, it's gonna need a couple more weeks, eh? Oh yeah. <laughs> That's a big job that one. <laughs> and uh actually one last thing I wanna to say too. Get on get on touch with us either of us on Twitter or the, the podcast Twitter account or via email. Tell us what you think we should do for our one hundredth episode. Yeah. And don't piss fart around. You've only got like a, a few, like a, we'll, we might even just give you two days to do it. And make it something reasonable as well. Yeah. Like and make it something we can actually do. <laughs> yeah. Something that you'd be interested in. That's something we would do. Um, I'm not going to eat a cat. I'll make that clear. See, if we could source cat, I would. But we can't source cat. No. Maybe I could eat some sort of um, cat meat. derivative. <laughs> cat derivative. <laughs> but what would be what would be the weirdest meat that I could source? Like you know, kangaroo. And it's a little bit too plain. Like you know, have you cares? had? Have you had goat? Um. Ooh, you can get, me feels like I've had goat before. You can have it at Indian restaurants. Yeah, I think, I've, I think I've had goat before, hey? Uh, how about rabbit? I've never eaten rabbit that I can remember. Um, let me think. Maybe yeah. Like a, a rabbit stew. Yeah, rabbit stew. I remember seeing a... I'm going down rabbit holes now myself. Um, I remember seeing how to, to stew a jackrabbit, actually, on a hunting show. That's a handy skill to have. Mm, yeah, you got to stew it for a long time. They're pretty tough, apparently. Yes, yeah, step one, catch it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're pretty big, too. Get a lot of meat off them. Yeah. Apparently, okay. it's more about the broth than the meat, though. Okay. Yeah. There you go. How do I know all this stuff? I don't put it into practice. This is educational moments right here. Yeah, it's great. There you go. Cop that, Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, on that note, we might wrap this one up. What do you reckon? Yeah. Um, drive home safely. 